Hello and welcome to Hillcrest To Go. I'm your host, John Parker. Today, Pastor Tom Goodman shares a message titled, Praying for Pilgrim's Progress. Now, an important message from Dr. Tom Goodman. This morning, we begin a study through Paul's letter to the Colossians. And uh, if you've never studied this short book before, what are you going to learn if you're going to be with us for the next few months as we go through this book? Well, maybe you've listened to sports commentary before or heard somebody talk about an athlete who exceeded expectations on the field. And they'll say to, they'll say to you about that person, he reached a whole nother level. Well. That's what I believe we're going to get to as individuals and as a church as we study through the letter to the Colossians. The book of Colossians will get you to a whole nother level in your understanding of how glorious Christ is. The book of Colossians will get you to a whole nother level in your understanding of how mystically united you are to that glorious Christ. And the book of Colossians will get you to a whole nother level in understanding what kind of life you ought to be living because you are united to that glorious Christ. Christ is glorious. You are united to that glorious Christ. You ought to live differently because you're united to that glorious Christ. That's the summary of the book of Colossians. That's what we're going to look at across the next few weeks. Now, this morning, we're going to look at Paul's prayer for the Colossian believers because it'll help you learn how to pray for the people in your life group, the people in your family, the people in your church, as we move through this study of the book of Colossians. So let's take a look at the first 14 verses. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. God bless the reading of his word. Now Paul begins where we need to begin if we want to enjoy next level living. He begins with an appreciation and a prayer. An appreciation for what is and a prayer for what still needs to be. In verses 1 through 8, he expresses the appreciation. In verses 9 through 14, he expresses the prayer. 
Now I want you to notice the balance here, the balance between celebrating what is in verses 1 through 8 and praying for what still needs to be in verses 9 through 14. Do you live with that balance in relation to your marriage partner, in relation to your kids, in relation to your church, in relation to yourself? Do you live with that balance? Few of us do. Some of us were so frustrated about what still needs to develop that we hardly at all anymore focus on what is, the good things that are going on in our marriage or with our kids or in our church. On the other hand, some of us have kind of acquiesced to the status quo. It's good enough. We don't want to rock the boat. We know that it could be so much better, but we just focus on what is instead of focusing on what needs to be. Paul had this balance that we need to have in our own lives, balancing between what is and what still needs to be. And so, first of all, in verses 1 through 8, here's what you need to do, as Paul did for the Colossian church. Thank God for your church. Thank God for your church. That's the first thing Paul does. The very first thing that springs up from his heart is gratitude for what he knows about the Colossian believers. Now, Paul was in prison when he wrote this letter, and he did not found the Colossian church. He had started a lot of churches, but not this one. And uh, in fact, uh, he had never been to the town of Colossae, but the church had been planted by a pastor named Epaphras, and you notice He's mentioned here in those first 14 verses, and he comes with a report about all that's going on in the church plant. And he talks with Paul about some problems and seeks Paul's advice on how to solve those problems. And Paul picks up a pen, and he writes to the Colossian believers, and the first thing he does is write a word of appreciation about all that Epaphras has told him about the church. Now, I want you to notice what Paul is so proud of here, their faith, their hope, and their love. I want you to circle those three words in these first verses. We have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you. Now we actually see these three words combined together in a lot of Paul's writings. The most famous place is 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the, the love chapter. In verse 13 of 1 Corinthians 13, Paul, say, Paul says, Now these three things remain, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. And we've heard that love chapter, or at least that portion of it, quoted usually in weddings. But it shows up a lot in Paul's letters. If you're a Bible reader, you've noticed this. And it shows up here in Colossians, where he tells, talks about their faith and their hope and their love. Now, this is what Paul appreciated about the Colossian church. This is how Paul evaluated and judged what was right and what was working in the Colossian church. And that's not always the way that we evaluate a church, is it? What impresses us about a church is its size. We want a big church where we can get lost in the crowd. Or we want a small church where people can pay attention to us. We focus on the crowd, the size of it. But, you know, it's interesting. You can read through all four chapters of the letter to the Colossians. We have no idea what size the Colossian church is. What impresses us about a church is a church's music program, and specifically if it has a style of music that we like. And so if it has a pipe organ or if it has drums, that's what we prefer, that's what we like, and so that's what impresses us about a church. You know, we can read through all four chapters of the letter to the Colossians, and you'll never know whether they had a pipe organ or whether they had a set of drums or whether they had a guitar or anything like that. We know nothing about the style of music that is going on in the Colossian church. That's not what impressed Paul. What impresses us is whether the pastor's eloquent or funny or some other standard that we place on the public speaker of the church. 
you know, we don't know anything about the pastor of the Colossian church except his name, Epaphras, and the fact that he was strong in the word and that he was mighty in prayer. That's all we know. That's what impressed Paul. What impresses us is the quality of the kids' program or the youth program, enemy singles attend, or whether we think the pastor pays enough attention to the senior adults or something like that. Again, that's not what Paul focused on in these first few verses of Colossians chapter 1. Now, I'm not implying that none of those things are important. I'm not implying that at all. I pay attention to those things. We pay people in this church to pay attention to these things. We have volunteers that, that lead in this church that are supposed to pay attention to these things. But we just need to understand that what impressed Paul and what impresses us about a church can be two different things. Let's be more like Paul. If you see evidence of faith and hope and love in your congregation, thank God for that. You know, I want to tell you that nothing will give you a new perspective on American culture than spending a little time away from American culture, either on a youth mission trip or in a more extended time, a more extended time like uh, when I was, uh, before I moved here, I was in the, in, the, in the Caribbean for a stretch, out of American culture. And one of the things that I noticed, I've told you this before, one of the things I noticed coming back into American culture after being away for, for a while is how many Americans have become church connoisseurs. You know what a connoisseur is? It's a French term that usually refers to a food critic or a wine critic. And some of us have become church connoisseurs when it comes to our American culture. We walk out of a service and we've got a toothpick and we're picking our teeth and going, well, you know, that sermon was passable, but who told that person he could sing? Or, you know, that solo was magnificent, but where was the fog machine? You know, we, we, we just have this evaluation of church that is so completely different. But Paul thanked God that he saw three things in the Colossian church, faith and hope and love. Focus on those three things. First of all, thank God for the faith when you see it. Paul was thrilled to hear about the Colossians' faith in Christ. And we need to be focused on that as well. There, we come into this place and there are people all around us who realize somewhere along the way that they were sinners in need of a relationship with God. And they came to the cross where their sins could be taken away. And now they are trying to be people who are living as people bought by the blood of the Lamb. And you need to be glad that that's the reality that, you, that surrounds you when you come into a place like this. Second, thank God for love when you see it. Paul wrote, we thank God because we have heard of the love that you have for all the saints. That's how he evaluated a church, not by its convenient parking or its convenient start time for a worship service. He said, I, I, I've heard of love in the Colossian church, and I thank God that that's an evidence of God's activity in your life. We need to focus on that as well. We need to focus on the fact that when we come into this place, there are people who have cared for us over the years. There are people who are interested in what's going on in our lives, people who will pray for us, people who will sit with us when we weep and rejoice with us when good things are going on in our lives. Thank God for that. And then third, thank God for hope when you see it. Paul said he was grateful to hear about the Colossians' hope that was stored up in heaven. What a difference to be surrounded by people who have hope. Even in the midst of their challenges and difficulties, they have hope. That's why you come in here, and that's why you're encouraged to come in here on a regular basis. Our tank gets filled up with hope because of the things we hear and hear. But when we go out of this place, the difficulties of life and the frustrations of life and the setbacks of life causes our tank to run low. And we need on a regular basis to come and get filled up with hope. 
That's what these songs are meant to develop. That's what these Bible studies are meant to develop. That's what these prayer times in your life groups are meant to develop, is to fill your tank with hope so you can continue to, to survive in the challenges and difficulties of life. And so I find it interesting that when we discuss what makes us happy or frustrated in a church, the things that never make it on our list were the only things on Paul's list. Faith, hope, and love. He saw that in the Colossian church, and he thanked God for it. Now, here's the second thing we need to commit to, though. Not only thank God for your church, but pray for your church. Because Paul was so thankful for the faith and hope and love he saw in the Colossian congregation, he continued to write in verses 9 through 14 that he was praying for them. Do you pray for other people? I hope you do. I hope at least you pray in your life groups when somebody says they're going in for a surgery or when somebody says they've just lost a loved one in death and the funeral's been scheduled. I hope you at least pray in those times. But you see in the Bible that not only was prayer to help people get through their circumstances, also prayer was there to help people continue to bear witness in the midst of their circumstances and to continue to look for God's activity in their life in the midst of their circumstances. And, and so we need to pray as Paul prayed. You know, I, I've shared this Richard Foster quote with you before. It's, it's from a, a book over 30 years old now called Prayer. And he wrote, people desperately need the ministry of prayer. Marriages are being shattered. Children are being destroyed. People are living in dark depression and misery. And we can make a difference if we will learn to pray. If we genuinely love people, we will desire for them far more than is within our power to give them, and that will lead us to prayer. I love that line. If we genuinely love people, we will desire for them far more than is within our power to give them, and that will lead us to prayer. You know, there are a number of things that we can do practically when somebody's in difficulty or trouble. We can sit with them. We can weep with them. We can, we can rejoice with them. We can bring casserole dishes over when they need that kind of help. Thank God that that's all the kind of practical things that I know this church does. But we also need to uh, uh, recognize that there are things that we can't give to somebody. It's not within our power to give them. And if we recognize that there's a need in somebody else's life that is not our capability to fulfill, what, what should that do? That should lead us to pray. Now, what should we pray for? Well, here's what Paul prayed for in verse 10. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. We pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord, pleasing him in every way. To live a life worthy of the Lord, pleasing him in every way. Isn't that a good summary of the Christian life? To, to live worthy of God, to live worthy of the name you bear, and to Look for his smile of approval by the things you do in your life. Let me ask you, what is more motivational? If you recognize that there's some things you need to do uh, about your life, some things you need to fix in your life, what do you think is more motivational? Here is a rule I need to live up to. Here is a father that I need to please. That's the second one that, that the, the Apostle Paul is telling us in, in, in Colossians, that he wants the, the, the Colossian believers to, to rise up to. He prays for them so that they may live a life worthy of the Lord and to please him in every way. But now what does a life worthy of the Lord look like? I mean, if, if God starts answering this prayer and changes start happening in somebody's life and they're living a life worthy of the Lord and they're starting to please him in every way, what will that look like? Well, Paul doesn't 
leave you wondering. He gives four phrases beginning in verse 10, which help you understand what a life worthy of the Lord looks like. Bearing fruit in every good work, that's one. Growing in the knowledge of God, that's two. Being strengthened with power according to his glorious might, that's that's three. And then joyfully giving thanks to the Father who's qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. You know, I sat in the home of uh, a Christian family one time. We were having coffee at the kitchen table, and I looked up uh, on the wall, and, and there was a plaque over the kitchen table, and it said, if someone arrested you and put you on trial for being a Christian, would they have enough evidence to convict you? And the man of the family said that every morning he would drink his coffee and he would look at that sign and he would go out the door determined to live in such a way that if he was ever put on trial for being a Christian, they would have enough evidence to convict him. What kind of evidence is there to convict somebody that you are a believer? Well, these four things, fruitful and good works, intimate with God, resilient in hard times, exultant in salvation, four phrases beginning in verse 10. First of all, fruitful in good works. Underline that phrase in verse 10, bearing fruit in every good work. Now in, in ministry circles, ministry leadership circles, you'll always invariably hear somebody say, it's better to be faithful than successful. And I guess in its barest truth, that's true. But the ultimate aim of faithfulness is to be fruitful. And so if you can't always see fruit from your faithfulness, at least stay faithful. But the aim of faithfulness is to be fruitful. Jesus told us this in John chapter 10 or John chapter 15 verse 16. He said, I chose you and appointed you that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. So if Jesus expected this and Paul prayed for it, then we need to pray for it as well for other people. Pray for someone's self-discipline. Of course, let them be faithful and self-disciplined. But let it bear the fruit of an overcoming life, overcoming their weaknesses, overcoming their temptations, overcoming their addictions. Pray for a leader's creativity and creating good church, program, good church programming. Pray for that ministry staff leader or for that volunteer leader to just be faithful, to put one foot in front of another, to keep going in the midst of discouragement. But pray that that faithfulness will yield to fruitfulness as well. That's what Paul prayed, and we need to pray for that as well. Number two, intimate with God. Fruitful and good works, and then intimate with God. Underline that phrase in verse 10, growing in the knowledge of God. You know, I, I've, been, I've been in this work of being a pastor for over 40 years now. I've been a Christian for a lot longer than that. I mean, I've, I've been to classes, I've been to conferences, I've got all the kinds of books that I've read that are on my shelf. I'm still learning more and more about who God is. I'm still learning more and more about who the Holy Spirit is. I'm still seeking new experiences with God. And this is true or should be true for all of us. We should grow in greater and greater intimacy with Christ. Here's a third thing to write down. Resilient. Resilient in hard times. Underline that phrase in verse 11. Being strengthened, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you might have great endurance and patience. So the idea here is to ask God to empower somebody to endure hardship and to endure heartbreak. Some of those hardships and heartbreaks will come just because we're part of a broken world. 
It's something that all of us experience, whether we're Christians or not. We get the cancer diagnosis. We get the call in the middle of the night that somebody we love has died. We, we, we experience these heartbreaks and these hardships just for being human. But some of the hardships and heartbreaks we experience are specifically because we're Christian in a dark world. There are going to be those times when people oppose you, belittle you, mock you, because you're trying to get serious for Christ. And Paul said that when this happened in the Colossian uh, environment, he prayed that the Colossian believers would be resilient in the midst of hard times, that they would be strengthened so that they might be able to endure. And finally, number four, exultant in salvation. So if you're looking for enough evidence to convict other people that you are indeed a Christian, here's the evidence that you be fruitful, uh, that you be uh, intimate, that you be resilient in hard times, and that you be exultant in your salvation. Look at verse 12, underline, giving thanks to the Father. One sign of spiritual growth then is that we're ever more grateful for our salvation. I've mentioned this before, but, but your experience of coming into salvation, that wasn't just a milestone you hit and then you keep going into deeper and deeper things. It's not the foyer of the house and then you go into all the other rooms in the house. Salvation is the foundation of the house. Wherever you go in the house, wherever, however you grow in the Christian life, you never get past the reality of salvation and the experience of salvation. Everything you learn about God springs out of your experience, your first experience with salvation. Every step you take to grow more obedient and more spiritually mature springs out of a deeper understanding of salvation. It just means going deeper and deeper and deeper and understanding the implications of what happened when God got hold of your life and turned things around. And so there should be a point, there should never be a point in your life where the understanding of salvation, the recollection that God has saved you, is ever a ho-hum thing. We need to exult in our salvation. We need to give always give thanks to the Father. So we need to be more fruitful in good works, more intimate with God, more resilient in hard times, more exultant in our salvation. Let me ask you, do the people around you and your family have that kind of fire? Do the people in your life group all have that kind of intensity? Do you? What we're really focusing on today is to be better at prayer for other people. But what about you? How, how do you stack up when it comes to this evidence that could, con could convict other people that you are indeed a Christian? Are you one of the persons who is pursuing fruitfulness in your good works? Are you pursuing a greater, greater intimacy with God? Are you somebody who is resilient when hard times come? Do you rejoice in your salvation? Have you never gotten over the fact that God has gotten hold of your life? These are the evidences that make us more and more a spiritually mature Christian. We need to pursue these ourselves. We need to hope people will pray for us as we're pursuing these things. And as Richard Foster said, as we care for people, if we really love people, it will be our desire to give them what we cannot give them, these things. And that will lead us to prayer. And one last thing and we're done. Because this message, because these verses are aimed at Christians, this message was aimed at Christians, but some of you in the room, some of you listening online, are not yet a Christian. You've thought about it, you've processed it, you've studied about the life of Jesus, but you've never crossed that line into faith. You've never officially, formally said, Jesus, be my Savior and become my Lord. This is the kind of life we want you to pursue with us, but you need to enter into it. 
You're never going to stop learning. You're never going to stop growing, but you need to start somewhere. And maybe today is the time that you start. This is the day you cross the line of faith and enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Those of us who are believers, those of us who are not yet believers, if you're not yet a believer, if you're ready to take that step today, here's a prayer you need to pray. Jesus, come into my life and be my Savior and Lord. You're not just a figure in history that I can study about. You're a Lord that I can relate to, a Lord that I can desire to please with my life. I realize that there are things in my life that are not pleasing to you. I give them over to you, Jesus. I, I trust that your death on the cross was the sufficient sacrifice to take away my sin and the penalty for my sin. And so I ask you to come into my life and give me a clean new heart inside and help me to learn more about you and how to follow you all the days of my life. And then there's a prayer that those of us who are believers need to pray. Lord, I pray that you will make me a prayer. I pray that you will make me desire for my youth group, that you will make me desire for my life group, that you will make me desire for my family what is not within me to give them. Only you can grant that to them, that you would grant, grant to them fruitfulness, that you would grant to them greater intimacy with you, that you would grant them greater resiliency in hard times and that you would make them more exultant, more joyful in their salvation. Grant that to them, Lord. I'm grateful for whatever evidences of faith I see in their lives, but more, God, more is what I pray, as the Apostle Paul prayed. And I pray this for myself, too, Lord, that you would enable me to be a person who more and more shows evidences, signs, that you have gotten a hold of my life. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. This concludes our podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Join us next time as Dr. Goodman shares a message titled, Getting Jesus Right. I'm your host, John Parker, and this has been Hillcrest To Go. For more information, please contact us at hillcrest.church.